Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. And this is part two of our review of Ring of Honor's Final Battle 2008. If you are firing up this show and you have not listened to part one, stop what you're doing, listen no further. Go back and listen to part one first. We open with a little history of Ring of Honor, how it got here. We recap some awesome matches in the first half of this show. Including uh, the opening match on that show is Kenny Omega versus Claudio Castagnoli, who would go on to be Cesaro in WWE. So that's a, a dream match right there if you didn't follow those two guys on the independent scene. A bunch of other stuff. I believe the, uh, if you want to call it the main event, of part one of our review of Final Battle 2008 was Jay and Mark Briscoe versus Katsuhiko Nakajima and Kensuke Sasaki. So uh, no uh, no shortage of stars on that show. And if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you will know that nothing offends Jeremy Deemer more. Well, nothing offends him more than when two wrestlers uh, facing off wear the same color gear. But oh. outside of that, <laughs> nothing offends Jeremy more than when people listen to part two but don't listen to part one of a show. You have no idea how <laughs> upset I am every time I look at the download numbers and I see that WrestleMania 19 part two is somehow ahead of WrestleMania 19 part one from season one. And that WrestleMania review uh, part one and two combined one of our best shows and, and definitely if you missed, if you skipped part one, you should go back and listen to that as well. So we'll start part two by talking about the Ring of Honor title number one contender match, Austin Aries versus Tyler Black. You mentioned at the top uh, the future Seth Rollins here as Tyler Black. I, at this point in time in Ring of Honor... Um, was not a huge Austin Aries fan. I know you never were. No. Uh, he was he was fine for me for a little bit, but uh, you know, I he, so I was I'm like a... this crowd with a you know same old <laughs> shit chant and like yeah. kind of run his course. This is where I was in my Austin Aries uh, fandom, and Tyler Black to me, it really like you know we we were still a little ways away from me not think you know he was just starting to become an interesting wrestler at this point he was yeah. always kind of too generic for me until you know right around this time frame uh he, he started to get a personality around this time frame i think yeah i am 100% with you i was not a tyler black fan at all at this point austin aries was one of those guys i acknowledged was good but never thought he was great Part of it was a, uh, I think, a bitterness from the indie scene at this time period where I was a huge Alex Shelley fan, and I desperately wanted Alex Shelley to be the guy that got the type of push that Austin Aries had. Uh, but yeah, Tyler Black, again, a guy who I've been watching for probably a good three years at this point from seeing him in IWA Mid-South, NWA Midwest, some of the Iowa-based promotions that they had relationships with. And to your point, just, yeah, thought he was super generic um in a lot of ways just felt like a lot of the things i was starting to really dislike about the indie scene at this point uh and then also he was a member of the age of the fall group here at this oh, point in ring of honor i was with so Jimmy jacobs i which had totally was, forgot that until they started mentioning it and i'm like oh my yeah. god yeah we'll talk about it here i yeah. hated that storyline that <sighs> that stable 
uh, it was one of the things that really started me down my, my path of for a while, not really be, being into ring of honor that much. So all that said, I was very interested here in 2021 to watch this match and see what I ended up thinking of it because it was two guys who were admittedly talented that I had zero interest in watching back then. So, uh, you referenced the, uh, the crowd. We had dueling chance at the start of this match. Well, and Ty- before we even got into the match, Tyler Black coming out of the entranceway uh, yeah. slips coming out, but was able <laughs> yes. to keep his balance. I couldn't imagine if he had fallen what this crowd no. would have done. But uh, yeah, you're right. The crowd was definitely into the dueling chance to, to begin for both Austin yeah. Aries and Tyler Black. Absolutely. And we have what was a, a theme throughout this show, both in part one, which we reviewed last week, and part two here. Uh, great job by Lenny Leonard and Dave Prazak on the call. Dave Prazak was a god among men, filling us in throughout this show on what happened, if this was a rematch, when these guys had wrestled before, what brought us to this point. Uh, With dates. Told- he had yes. dates and places for dates, all of those. <laughs> places, the wacky names of the show that Ring of Honor would give. You know, Glory by Honor, Part 2, Night 1, Side B, uh, LP3. Like It was basically that level of detail. And we're told that Tyler Black won their previous battle in Collinsville, Illinois, with the God's Last Gift Small Package Driver. And so uh, that's what led us here to this number one contenders match. Uh, and yeah, we're ready to get going with a, a lockup here to start. Yeah, my notes say, ew, Black was in Age of the Fall with stupid Jimmy Jacobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, the thing that made me most angry about that was that I was a huge Necro Butcher fan back then. <laughs> Who amongst huge, us, yeah. <laughs> huge fan of Necro, seeing him in IWA live and you know elsewhere, CZW, other places on, on tape. And so then... His introduction, the end game of him being in Ring of Honor when he's at like his highest point, his biggest buzz, you know, coming off of the crazy match uh, against Samoa Joe in IWA Mid-South and the ECW Arena, all these things. He ends up being part of the age of the fall with uh, with Jimmy Jacobs and uh, and Tyler Black and you know, a whole crew that rotated around. But I just remember that was a big part of why I hated the Age of the Fall storyline so much. But here we're kind of towards the, I guess you could say, the end of that uh, of that stable. But that's neither here nor there. The match gets going, lock up, and we get a clean break as they're back up into the ropes, which I wouldn't necessarily have expected here with these two guys. Oh, more Matt wrestling to open the match. Aries in control early. He gets reversed into a head scissors on the mat by by black aries then does his headstand escape and tries to turn it into a quick drop kick like all in one motion black has it scouted and is able to avoid it yes that's the uh, the classic aries counter from the uh, it, you know you don't powerbomb kidman and you don't put austin aries into a head scissors when he's on the mat because he will pop up and drop kick you but as you said longtime opponents tyler black has it scouted and gets out of the way. The other thing that Prezak notes is that at this point, we're in the Tyler Black has world title potential, but he hasn't won a title yet portion of his career. He hasn't won the big one. And so the question is, can he finally win a big one, if not the big one here against Austin Aries? Aries puts on the head scissors and Black does the headstand into the dropkick out of the head scissors. Aries' own move gets a good reaction from the crowd. 
Yes, very nice touch, and I'm already enjoying this match more than I was expecting or allowing myself to admit that I would. Chop battle. Aries, briefly with an advantage, misses the power elbow attempt. Oh, God. And this is where I remember how much I can't stand Austin Aries with that stupid back-and-forth pandering arm gestures before he hits the weak imitation of a power drive <laughs> elbow god i hated that and this is where the crowd starts chanting same old yeah, yeah. stomp to the face by black big knee drop but only a one count a weird jumping knee drop it's like imagine if you were to do you know like what a baby face misses a a, a non-top rope splash like they always do imagine if you were to do that but you just landed on the guy with your leg instead of your chest. Like he does not do a knee drop. It's just, it's the weirdest thing. Uh, I don't know. The, uh, this was not the AJ styles leaping scissor no. knee drop. <laughs> this, That's for this sure. Was not no. snake eyes in the corner by black black does his wacky dance in the corner before oh. charging in this. But... And this is where I remember how annoyed I was by Tyler black, particularly <laughs> going to shows live and him doing this, weak mosh entrance like he does it here before he does the knee to the face oh god yeah it took too much time aries whips black to the buckle he mockingly does black's <laughs> little dance this i approved of <laughs> then he charges in and eats a stiff boot to the face black on the apron Goes to springboard off the top into the ring but aries shoves him off to the floor <laughs> yeah. then follows it up with a tope between the bottom and middle ropes to the floor. Yes, the heat-seeking missile later go on to be called the low-pay suicida. Fun with puns. Uh, and this is where I remembered, yeah, that's the one thing I liked about Austin Aries. Uh, that awesome low uh, suicide dive that he did. I should also mention, by the way, I think the other thing that made me bitter about Austin Aries was that he was the guy to unseat Samoa Joe after Joe's incredible incredible he was, yeah. roh title rate i just remember being so pissed there were so many other guys that i wanted to see win the title uh and it just it just felt weak to me it was like the roh version of takeshi rikio being the guy to defeat kenta kobashi and end his title reign it just just never sat well with me aries sits black in a chair against the barricade and aries hits him with a drop kick this is uh you mentioned uh, in, in part one, that uh, the Tree of Woe was a popular move. <laughs> uh, also, a popular move was sitting a guy in the corner next to the barricade and doing some sort of offensive move to him. Here was a drop kick. Yes, I do not feel like there were road agents uh, working, which <laughs> which is good and bad. I, 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 a lot of times I think road agents are like a really bad thing for wrestling. But here on this show, it might not have been bad to have a meeting, maybe sit guys down in chairs in a corner before the show and say, Hey, maybe don't everybody do the same spot, but uh, grand scheme of things, it's fine. Aries puts on a front face lock and he hits some knee strikes, then flips over into a bridge called last chancery black to the ropes for a break. Yeah. The um, last chancery I always just felt like was, I don't know. It was Austin Aries saying, Oh, I, I, I like that. Brian Danielson. He does some cool submissions, but I can't take I can't take the cattle mutilation. I can't take his move. What can I take that's exactly like it? Almost, <laughs> but but a less cool version. Yes, of, yeah. yes, exactly. On the apron, Aries puts Black on his shoulders like Fireman's Carry style. Black 
fights out with elbows, reverses so that Aries is on Black's shoulders, but they're they're still on the apron. Black then basically hits an F five. Yes, he he spins Aries off his shoulders, where Aries lands chest first onto the apron as Black falls to the floor. No, I mean, that's exactly what it was. It's not Tony Schiavone saying, oh, he hit him with almost something. This was an F5 onto the apron. I did not expect this. This was awesome. The fans are chanting ROH, and rightfully so. And so far, as both men are down on the floor, I am eating my 2008 words because this is a freaking awesome professional wrestling match to this point. Me too. I'm like... I'm like, wow, I really thought that these guys were boring at this point. But uh, yes. uh, no, I'm enjoying myself highly. Uh, I think what it was was I needed 13 years away from Austin Aries <laughs> and Tyler Black to be able to watch one of their matches and enjoy it with an open mind. I needed 13 years away from that stupid elbow drop or that idiotic mosh pit in the corner. I needed all that time to be able to be okay with it. Black goes for the springboard off the top again. Aries moves again, but Black, after landing on his feet, he hits a kick to knock Aries to the floor. Yeah, Pele, basically. And then, and then, this dive. Jesus Christ. Tyler Black, particularly by ROH standards, is not a small guy. And what he does here is just ridiculous. He And you'll describe the move exactly, but just imagine a human as a an asteroid tumbling through space a comet breaking through the atmosphere and landing on earth that is basically what tyler black does here uh it's just beautiful stuff no it was it gets a huge running start and hits the dive over the top rope wiping out aries and like you said this is a big guy to be flipping over the top rope like that. Just yeah, this is when you say dive, it is a moonsault, but out of a all in one motion, out of a dead run, this almost cartwheeling style backflip nearly lands on his feet. This is you if you have not seen Tyler Black do this dive, you have not seen anyone else do it. This is it's unique. It's different from a Sasuke special. It is just uh, it's almost like a with the uh, the Fosbury flop into yes. a dive like over the top like moonsault yeah it's a it's very it's impressive else it is again very impressive and it makes me mad because <laughs> I don't want to like this match I don't want to give Tyler Black slash Seth Rollins credit because I've never been a fan and god damn it this match is really good Black tries a buckle bomb, but Aries counters into the last chancery again. Thank God, because it would have broken <laughs> Aries' neck if, you know, staying in that story. He didn't tap, so Aries goes back to the knee strikes. Aries goes for the brain buster, but it's reversed to a roll-up for a two-count. As Aries kicks out of the roll-up, Black kicks him in the back of the head instantaneously. This was very cool. Yes. Then he grabs him for a buckle bomb into the corner. Uh, another near fall after the buckle bomb. Black to the top. He's going for the Phoenix Splash. And uh, Jimmy Jacobs on the oh, ramp. God, dinosaur Kevin Sullivan. Here he is again. We haven't seen him enough yet on this show. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Jacobs on the ramp says, no flippity-doos. And <laughs> Black ignores him, goes for it, misses the Phoenix Splash. Aries hits the brain buster, goes to the apron to climb the ropes, but he slips 
and falls to the floor. This was so great. He falls to the floor in exhaustion. I don't know if this was the plan or not, but to me, it added to the match and the build to this finish. And Aries, whether he meant to or not, he went with it. He sold the exhaustion so yeah, great he, on the floor before he got back in. I love this. Yeah, he he's, he does a stumble on the outside. He's He's selling that he doesn't have his wits about him. Although it appears he just slipped and and he was uh he 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 did he did fine selling it but then as people were getting into it he he almost started comically overselling it took yes. it a little too far if he would have just uh, kept the subtlety a little bit more it would have been better but uh, uh, still making the best of a bad situation there Aries this time goes to the top nails the 450 splash. And gets the pin. Aries wins and is the number one contender. Jimmy screams at him after the match, screaming at Tyler Black. You were supposed to be the chosen one. Jacobs shoves him. Black shoves him back. Jacobs kicks him low and well, puts... first Jacobs like he, Tyler shoves him, shoves him down, and then Jacobs is like, "Whoa, calm down, calm down. Like we're okay. We used to be tag champs. Let's you know." Let's start out and goes to shake his hand. And then uh, they slap hands and Jacobs just obliterates his groin, kicks him low, uh, says, you screwed me. And then noted MMA practitioner Jimmy Jacobs locks in his end time guillotine choke. Yes. And he puts the guillotine on black. Jacobs almost attacks him with a banquet chair, but then switches to a folding chair. He's going to pilmanize the neck of black but aries comes back to make the save but aries grabs the chair and nails black in the head with the chair instead he's busted open and aries and jacobs double team black yeah fun so match dave prazak dave prazak makes the point that they aren't a unit but they have a common enemy Tyler Black, you know, we get close-ups of his bleeding head and he's going to the back. This is clearly all built around trying to, you know, turn Tyler Black face, which the fans were ready for, at least here in the Hammerstein Ballroom, uh, you know, and build a lot of sympathy for him going forward. Yeah, it was a fun match. Apparently, reading uh, some of the news coming out of the show, apparently, during this match, uh, Aries punched a fan. What? Uh, there, there they was... did not. I guess that's one of the benefits of it taking like two and a half months for these shows to come out <laughs> on DVD at this point was they had a lot of time to edit that out. Yeah, apparently uh, there was a, a, a fan that 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 was like uh, pushing Austin Aries and, and Aries did the kind of uh, fake punch to make you flinch kind of thing. And the guy... Uh, yeah, the guy put his hands on Aries, and Aries had had enough and just punched the guy right in the eye. And uh, uh, a few guys, uh, one of the referees, uh, Adam Pierce, who is now the booker at this point, Ooh. came out and uh, pulled. Uh, they pulled the, the the fan who got punched and his two friends to the back, uh, and and it was dealt with there. But this this was a uh, yeah. The, uh, I I read about this, but uh, we did not see any indication that there was an altercation whatsoever here in the video no i probably read that exact same report you did when that happened but reading that adam pierce was the booker of ring of honor <laughs> it probably traumatized me so much that it just washed away all the other news in that paragraph as well roh world title match the champion Not in the main event by not the way the we should event. mention 
extremely rare for Ring of Honor to have the world title, which was by far the most well-protected championship in the United States at this point. And, you know, maybe only second to the GHC heavyweight title around the world as the most protected heavyweight title here. It is the semi-main event. Yeah, the champion, Nigel McGuinness, against the challenger, Mara Fuji, who is uh, a favorite of, of this podcast here. Oh, we, every time we see Mara Fuji, it's a, it's a great time. And we get to see him one-on-one for the Ring of Honor title against Nigel McGuinness. Nigel comes out, and uh, like we mentioned in part one, no audio whatsoever during the introductions which... yeah, not just no entrance music but no no crowd noise so it's just uh it's earmuffs the whole way for the entrance the thing i'm most disappointed by and i guess without having the music it allowed me to focus my frustration even more is that nigel didn't have his union jack iron with him as part of his entrance uh get up very disappointed yeah and i i was disappointed i didn't get to hear his his song because he had an awesome theme song in ring of honor he used a great Oasis song for his yes. entrance. Nigel will be champion for one calendar year if he wins the match tonight. Yes, he's been champion for longer than a year in total as far as 365 or 366 days if it's a leap year, but uh, not across a full calendar year. I think that's how they explained it, or maybe that's how they were describing it. That's how they explained Samoa Joe's reign. Joe's reign, where it was like, like 2000 days, but somehow still not a whole year. I didn't quite, didn't quite grasp the math there, but uh, anyone that listens to the big audio nightmare, particularly our G one prediction show uh, can know that sometimes math gets the best of us when we're doing it on the fly on a podcast. <laughs> Regardless, uh, I note that there's cheers for Mara Fuji, a mix of cheers and booze for Nigel, who was a heel at this point, but it never really felt to me just thinking back that the crowd wanted him to be a heel. It just felt like something they kind of forced, uh, you know, to make for different matchups. Also notable that very, very, very young-looking referee Paul Turner here, yes, who would go on to be uh, one of the main referees for All Elite Wrestling. Uh, definitely remembered him in Ring of Honor, but my oh my, did I not remember him looking this young at this point? Uh, gives the instructions in the middle, like it's a big boxing or UFC fight, and the Code of Honor is respected here between these two men somewhat dismissively uh, by Nigel McGuinness, but the handshake happens. No shenanigans. Uh, we're also informed by Dave Prezak again, that this is a rematch from the last time or one of the last times ring of honor was in New York city. 
in the smaller ballroom, the grand ballroom, which by the way, was where I saw Samojo and Kenta Kobashi live uh, at a different show. Marafuji had defeated Nigel McGuinness successfully defending his then GHC heavyweight championship. So this is a rematch, but uh, a different title is on the line and it's a different man holding a championship. Match starts with a series of reversals and a stalemate. Marafuji hits a suplex, then does the move where he stands with Nigel's head between his feet while he's laying on the mat, and Marafuji does his spin to yes. injure the neck of uh, Nigel McGinnis. Yes, and that, uh, that sequence that you mentioned earlier was built all around the cravat, uh, which uh, one Nigel McGinnis liked to use very much. Uh, and uh, Marafuji gets out of it a few times, uh, rolls through, and Nigel still holds on in some ways. It was kind of reminiscent of uh, those long headlock spots in a Flair Steamboat match where no matter what happened, uh, Steamboat would still end up with a side headlock. They were kind of doing the same thing here uh, with their cravat. And then we had a, a series of pinning combinations, fish out of water, style leading to an indie standoff. Uh, which then eventually, as you talked about, led to that uh, that spinning neck snap with a feet spot. That it's one of those great things that it's a pro wrestling move that looks so debilitating, but it actually safe as possible. It's the yeah. safest move you've ever seen, but it looks like you're breaking the guy's neck, which is everything you want out of pro wrestling in a move. Kicks by Marafuji, then puts on a submission with like a headlock and like the leg locked as well yeah this was really cool this is uh, again something where marafuji a lot of times would just sort of make stuff up on the fly in a match in some ways like like uh, mitsuharo misawa would during his uh his heyday during his best years and yeah it's a headlock and then he's got the the he's using his foot to grapevine uh nigel's foot almost like uh like you would when you're doing an abdominal stretch and then he uses that position to throw some some downward elbows to the uh, to the neck of the uh, the prone, uh, you know, partially standing Nigel McGuinness. All Marafuji now with a ten punch in the corner, <laughs> which cracked me up because I always remember all the stories, particularly around this time before, uh, you know, there were streaming services with Japanese wrestling, and like these guys would come over. And they didn't quite know or understand how big or how popular they were in the U.S. or really didn't understand how people knew them. So they just assumed they didn't. And so they would come over and they would want to do like really like U.S. based (laughs) spots, you know, like American style wrestling, not really getting that the fans at these shows wanted to see them do the stuff they did in Japan. It was the same thing when uh, when when Kobashi came over to wrestle Joe and had no idea whether he'd be that over. And he thought, and he kind of thought they were going to do a match where uh, Kobashi was almost like a stereotypical type of heel. And Joe told him before the match, like these people love you. Like we've got to do a Kobashi match. Yes. <laughs> and that's what ended up happening. And this just little 10 bunch in the corner reminded me of that. Cause I've never seen Marfuji do that before. <laughs> it's not a spot he would do in Japan, but he busted out here. I guess thinking that's what the people wanted. Marafuji has Nigel bent over in the middle of the ring. He hits a quick kick to the face, then does a stomp to the back of Nigel's head, running him face first into the Basically mat. Basically a curb stomp. This yep. is a move that 
uh, Tyler Black as Seth Rollins would go on to steal and use uh, for many years in uh, in WWE as a finisher as Seth Rollins before. For a while, they had him stop doing it, I guess, because they were worried kids were going to curb stomp their little brothers or something. But uh, yeah, good but stuff. But most here. of the time, the curb stomp is done from like someone like on all fours, yes, or or in a push up position. I have like a here, surfboard style position and kick yeah, the guy. Here he's down. standing and just bent over. Like that's how far yes. Marafuji gets to kick him in the back of the head to push him down to the mat. Head scissor on the mat by Marafuji, but he uses it to ram Nigel's face over and over while <laughs> yes. still in the head scissors. Yes, Super cool. Does this spot a couple times. He has him in the head scissors, head scissors, rolls him over, drives his face into the mat uh, multiple times, as you said, rolls back into the normal head scissors position, and then rolls back over again and uh, does the same move once more. Nigel whipped to the buckle, does his head stand in the corner, and kicks Marafuji, who goes down and rolls out to the floor. Marafuji's then softly thrown into the barricade. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then he comes charging in and eats a huge super kick by Marafuji. Yes, yeah, Marafuji hits Nigel with the super kick and then hits the Shurunai, the uh the slice bread number 2 if you're a a US based wrestling fan, hits that on the floor, rolls Nigel back into the ring for two and this is where I note that like everything they're doing is good, but this is sort of at a a more relaxed pace than I would have expected from these two guys in an ROH world title match, uh, you know, co-headlining the biggest crowd that ring of honor has ever had. Like, it's not bad. Like it's perfectly fine. It's good even, but it, it's uh, for the moves they're hitting and the spots they're doing. It's done a, at a bit more of a deliberate pace than I think you would expect. Nigel catches Marafuji on the top and hits a hammerlock power slam to injure the arm of Marafuji. Yeah, like a hammerlock, like a Davy Boy Smith over the shoulder style power slam out of the corner, but with a hammerlock. Again, something uh, something pretty unique. And then Nigel, he does a lot of jawing with the fans here. He throws Marafuji through the ropes out to the floor. Again, I feel like that's a move we're seeing multiple times in every match where the heel dumps the face out to the floor between the second and top rope. Uh, Nigel then, he's leaning through the ropes now. Uh, yelling at the fans great camera shot because we don't see marafuji and then out of nowhere he just appears in the frame coming across our screens and hits nigel with a huge running drop kick landing on the apron this was an awesome spot it, it reminded me camera work wise of a few of those type of things uh i think of a rob van dam frog splash <laughs> yes that, uh, <laughs> that we saw coming out of nowhere heat wave 98 i also think of rick flair just appearing flying through the air uh, <laughs> and landing on Terry Funk's back in the I quit match. So this is some, uh, some quality camera work here and direction uh, from ring of honor, which you can't always say. No. And just to reiterate how high Marafuji jumps on this drop kick, he's on the floor. Nigel yes. is in the ring, leaning through the ropes and Hanging over the first, the second and third ropes. Yes. And Marafuji is able to jump and hit this drop kick and lands on the apron like yeah. that. So he jumped to where he was kicking the guy and then landed down onto the apron of the ring. So With definitely ease. impressive. Definitely. And Lenny Leonard pointed out quite correctly that Marafuji would have had no problem catching McGinnis with that drop kick if McGinnis's head was draped over the top rope and not the second rope. He uh, he did this with ease. 
Step up in Siguri. A lariat and a two count for Marafuji. He puts on a cobra clutch and then takes him down with like a leg lock around the cobra clutch. Yeah, this was it was awesome. He has him with a cobra clutch and then he does uh, like you know, Shinsuke Nakamura used to always do the uh, like the flying armbar takedown, uh, or, or Minoru Tanaka would do this as well. Not to be confused with Masato Tanaka, but Minoru Tanaka would do this. Here, Marufuji does this, but it's out of the Cobra Clutch position, and then in that rotation, as he lands into the mat, he locks on a triangle choke while still holding on to the Cobra Clutch. Again, really cool, unique, inventive stuff from Marufuji. He then. Uh, Nigel gets to his feet and Marafuji then while still holding onto the Cobra clutch drops down into a lung blower, which again, something you don't see every day out of that position. Marafuji caught on the top rope again. He counters a tower of London attempt, which was the story of the match. Uh, whenever, uh, uh, whenever Nigel would go for the tower of London, it was countered. And the tower of London we should mention, by the way, is basically a diamond cutter where you have your opponent uh, draped over the top rope. Their legs are on the top rope. Uh, they're hanging down. And then he pulls the guy out and hits a, a diamond cutter type move. Shiranui attempt countered. Nigel holds him by the hair, bends him back a little bit and kicks him in the back of the head. Then instantly hits a forearm strike to the chest. I love the quick one-two move right there. Yes. Right? Nigel, again, Nigel is so great here. So particularly good. at this point, and he's a guy who you saw him maybe five years earlier, uh, and he looked five, six years prior to this, he looked relatively hopeless. I remember seeing him come into IWA Mid-South in 2004 and think, oh, there's something to get there, but this guy isn't great. And then by this point, he's legitimately one of the best wrestlers in the world. And one of the biggest what-ifs, if his career hadn't been derailed by just some horrific concussions, I think back to that uh, that great but horrifying match that he had with Brian Danielson uh, in the UK for Ring of Honor. You know, and then he, oh, was he that the match with all the headbutts? Yes, the oh. headbutts and the, the post, the head being pulled oh, into the post. Yeah. Just some Brutal. of the most hor- horrific head trauma you've ever seen in a wrestling match. You know, that, that in some ways leading to him not being able to get the WWE deal that had been offered. He couldn't pass a physical. He then goes to TNA as Desmond Wolf and is freaking fantastic there. <laughs> has great matches with Kurt Angle, but that, you know, for a multitude of reasons, fizzles out. And you just you look at all the other guys that came through Ring of Honor during this time frame. You know, you think of obviously CM Punk, Brian Danielson, uh, you know, Tyler Black slash Seth Rollins, uh, all these guys. Nigel McGuinness 100% would have been if he would have been healthy would have been right at the top of that group of guys making their way into WWE. It's a, just a, a real shame that his, his peak uh, wasn't able to be as long and as financially prosperous as it should have been. No, he did reinvent his career as just an awesome color man for yes. those NXT shows. I mean, he was spectacular. The The combination of Nigel McGuinness and... Uh, and Moro. And, and Moro Ronaldo is one of the all-time great tandems on on play-by-play and they called some great matches maybe the least wwe style yes uh commentary team and nigel mcginnis maybe and i say that in the most complimentary way possible maybe the least wwe style uh, color commentator to ever actually break through and do commentary 
uh, on big shows. So yeah, no, I was very happy for him that he got that run there at least, and hopefully made you know made a little bit of good money, uh, you know, working for WWE, even if you know it, it was very hard for him. He even talked about how hard it was for him to make it there and not be able to wrestle, but glad that he got something out of that after all those years. Nigel puts Marafuji on the top rope, not the corner, but like between midway on the rope and the corner. It's basically the way that Rob Van Dam would have his opponent set up when he was going to hit the, uh, like the, the Van Daminator off the top when Alfonso would hold the chair up to the guy and he'd jump off the top. It's that position. Nigel to the corner. He, he goes to the top, but Marafuji stands on the top rope and drop kicks Nigel, and he falls off the top to the floor. Spectacular spot for Marafuji. Basically running the top rope and hitting that drop kick, stopping the, uh, uh, the lariat attempt from, uh, from Nigel before it could even happen. Nigel back on the apron. They trade shots. He teases a Tower of London to the floor, but Marafuji counters with a super kick. Both men on the apron. We get another uh, Shira Nui, but this time onto the apron. That yes. was crazy. So I... they're both, yeah, they're both on the apron. Uh, Marafuji grabs him in the position to hit this Shira Nui slash slash bread and then runs up the corner and flips back and hits the move, driving Nigel's back uh, into the apron. As you said, this is a wild spot. And we should note that whatever sort of tentativeness or, uh, or, more casual, re- relaxed pace from these guys early. That's gone. Gone. This match gone. is awesome by this point, <laughs> and they are killing each other. It's everything is precise and quick. They have found their groove. Back in the ring, Nigel in. Wait for it. The tree of woe. Yes. <laughs> Marafuji tries a springboard coast to coast drop kick, Rob Van Dam style. Not Shane McMahon style? No. <laughs> but Nigel is able to avoid the drop kick by doing a sit up, which is the correct counter for that move. <laughs> yes, while in the tree of woe, uh <laughs> crazy core strength from Nigel McGinnis here this deep in the match to be able to do that. A spectacular spot and again, great camera work as we are in the corner basically directly behind Nigel. And uh, the visual of Marafuji just appearing as Nigel does the sit-up, uh, Marafuji flying towards us. Uh, very, very cool uh, the camera shot. He climbs up, but Nigel crotches him. And Nigel hits the Tower of London to the ring apron for the first time in the match. Nigel now, he's favoring his right arm. Marafuji, he's put on the top rope again. Nigel off the corner, hits the lariat, gets a two count. Nigel goes for his headstand in the corner again, but Marafuji catches him with a super kick. Right in the face. Another brutal. great shot. He gets super kicked right in the face from a, uh, just from a kayfabe standpoint. Terrible strategy here from Nigel. He has the man beat. He, he's hit him with his finishers or close to his finishers. And then his next offense is to do a headstand. <laughs> so Marafuji uh, goes to hit the coast to coast drop kick again. The crowd loving it as he hits it gets an awesome near fall. People really thought this might have been the finish. Yeah, people are up out of their seats. They were both cheering the move and booing the fact that this was not a three count. People thought this was the finish for sure. Uh, Marafuji follows that up with a huge super kick. 
and then a spinning super kick right to the face. He goes for one more. Nigel ducks, gets a two count uh, off of a roll up. Marafuji kicks him off. Nigel goes flying back into the ropes, rebounds straight into the rebound jawbreaker lariat and gets the win. An awesome finishing sequence here. This is a great finishing sequence. Still your Ring of Honor champion. I thought this was an awesome match. Yes. Uh, Nigel wins. Uh, great, great performance. You're right. It really, like, it started, it was a slow build, and when they hit their stride, it was a million miles an hour to the finish. Great last few minutes. Great finish. Uh, both the the coast-to-coast dropkick could have been a finish. The jawbreaker lariat does get the does get the finish and and just a, a great match had a ton of fun here yeah absolutely it was so cool to see marafuji like at the height of his powers this is you know he still is pretty much junior heavyweight size but this is as he had moved into being uh, in the heavyweight division in pro wrestling noah several years too late you can go back and listen to about 400 episodes of the big audio nightmare if you're an observer or subscriber and hear me and mike sempervivi talk in detail about how much Pro Wrestling Noah dropped the ball and waited way too long to move Marafuji and Kenta into the heavyweight scene. But here, he he's at that level, but he still can do all the junior heavyweight high-flying stuff. His body hasn't broken down enough to where, uh, you know, he, he, he would maybe not be quite uh, in 2021 what he was back then, even though he still is very good. Uh, awesome to see that here, and just a great display as well for Nigel McGuinness as Ring of Honor World Champion. Uh, just really solid, right around 20 minutes, high high end ring of honor world title match and that's not the end of the show we still have the fight without honor main event yeah no rules street fight takeshi morishima versus brian danielson this is the uh the climax to what was their long feud as again dave prezak catches us up yes on the entire six months was it this feud it was between like Morishima and months. Danielson this, this this started in August of 2007 when in a match with Morishima uh, and Danielson Morishima hit Danielson so hard that it detached his retina uh, and the match had to be uh, it had a referee stoppage in that match uh, and this is in December of 2008 so that's <laughs> how long this build to this feud ending match was uh, Morishima had a long run where he was basically mostly based in ring of honor long ring of honor world championship reign when he lost that belt he then went back to uh, japan and spent the majority of his time in pro wrestling noah but would come back uh, on occasion and would come back here for this big feud ending match uh, with brian danielson so morishima out first danielson's music plays of course the final countdown it doesn't play for us though doesn't play for us i I heard it in my head while (laughs) i I knew what was playing but uh danielson doesn't come out the entrance way or come down the ramp the camera cuts back to the ring and he's already there he's in the ring as the the camera cuts back danielson springboards to the top rope hits a flying knee that knocks morishima to the floor a sliding drop kick and morishima's over the barricade into the crowd streamers fill the ring and Danielson goes to the top and does a huge dive to the floor into the people wiping out Morishima and the first few rows of fans banquet chairs everywhere 
and we're off what a hot start <laughs> oh yeah this this again this feels like a fight it feels like danielson wants to not only beat this man but beat him up uh yeah he goes hurtling into the into the fans and almost crashes and burns himself into those banquet chairs that was that was pretty scary we should just catch people up a little bit on takeshi morishima if they've never seen him or if they're just heard about him the best way i can describe morishima was that he was a kid who grew up loving professional wrestling more than anything else in life grew up loving all japan pro wrestling and it's very very evident when you watch him wrestle that he idolized and patterned himself after many of the top american stars in all japan pro wrestling from the time period that he grew up watching whether it be you know a stan hansen uh, you know maybe a steve williams and a by Gordy. far more than anyone else terry bam bam gordy <laughs> yes he uh he moved around the ring, particularly when he was younger. He moved like Gordy. He basically did all of Gordy's moveset. He actually had just a few months prior to this match in August of 2008, had tryout matches both uh, on Raw and SmackDown in Chicago, uh, by the way, a show I was not at, but in Chicago uh, for Raw with Charlie Haas and then for SmackDown with uh, Jamie Noble. And in this tryout, the main reason uh, you could say maybe the main reason he didn't get signed sometimes with these tryouts, a lot of times it's just they, you know, the Japanese company wanted to have their guy wrestle in front of a WWE audience just to get those pictures and be able to show them in the magazines. But the reason they didn't offer Morishima a contract was because uh, Michael Hayes had heard over and over and over again, how, how much this guy was, basically terry gordy reincarnated and it pissed him off he saw he saw morishima out there was like oh yeah this guy isn't terry gordy which who could be terry gordy particularly to michael hayes and that was pretty much the end of that but that was just uh about three and a half months prior uh to this match here for ring of honor me want a tape of jamie noble and morishima yes (laughs) immediately (laughs) yes and just seeing morishima uh in in a wwe <laughs> ring would just be wild he defeated charlie haas in three minutes with a missile drop kick and then beat jamie noble the uh the next night at the smackdown taping so uh, to me that doesn't sound like a guy who is just coming in for a photo op like they had to have been high enough on him to want to not only see him but have him beat rostered guys uh, you know, that there was at least some thought that maybe they would sign him. But, you know, as I laid out, that ended up not happening. Danielson, amongst the people here, uh, he's loved to no one's surprise. Yes. Amongst his people. <laughs> it's not just the people. It is his people. Back over the barricade and they're fighting at ringside. Danielson grabs the ring bell hammer and goes for the eye to try to avenge his detached retina. He goes for the eye with the ring bell hammer. Well, not only avenge his detached retina, but then also avenge the fact that in their rematch after that detached retina match, uh, Morishima had vowed to not attack Brian Danielson's eye and then did so anyway and won by ref stoppage. So that's, uh, that's what took this from a competitive rivalry to a, a hated blood feud running drop kick to a seated Morishima against the barricade. <laughs> Where have we seen that before? They needed Jamie Noble as an agent. That's what they needed here. They fight on the ring apron. 
Morishima knocks Danielson off the apron to the floor. Danielson then grabs Morishima, teasing a powerbomb off the apron to the floor. But Morishima drops down, ass first across the chest of Danielson. Northern exposure! Dare I say a modified Northern exposure. Yes. Tony (laughs) Schiavone would call that almost a Northern exposure. He'd be damn right. This was a Northern exposure from the, uh, the most unique position we've seen yet. The move of the podcast strikes again. And we should note that Takeshi Morishima is just Huge. massively large. Huge. Here. This is, this is, and again, it's a guy much like uh, we've talked about Ray Trailer, the big boss man, big Bubba Rogers here on this podcast quite a bit. And the, the weight fluctuations and the, the wild swings in, in size, in mass. Uh, Morishima was another one of those guys. He was never spelt, but here he was just a, just a massive humanity uh, dropping south here on on Brian Danielson, and then he throws him hard, recklessly into the barricades. And I can I can speak from experience as someone who sat front row a couple times at Ring of Honor and legitimately broke a bone in my hand from slapping the barrier, uh, from pounding the barrier. This sheet metal hurts. Yeah, just back to this northern exposure for a second. <laughs> Seeing... Totally fine with that. We can do a sub podcast <laughs> about that spot. Seeing Danielson in this position, because Morishima holds it here, and you get a look, and you see Danielson with his back bending against the edge of the ring, and the giant Morishima just pressed against his chest, squashing him. This was quite the visual. Then you mentioned Danielson to the barricade, and he is busted open on this hard sheet metal. Yes, he's busted open. He's doing a a tremendous job harking back to uh, some of the guys we've talked about on this podcast before, whether it be a Terry Funk or a Barry Windham, uh, selling the uh, not only the fact that they're bleeding, but that that this immediate blood loss is you know causing them to be woozy. Uh, just uh, great. Unsurprisingly, Brian Danielson is great in this match. Let's just yes. say that. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's on the apron, gets knocked off with a big lariat, chair shot to Danielson's back, squashes him against the barricade. And then head <laughs> well, first as, into the ring post. As he does, he hits this running hip attack up against the barricade with Danielson seated in a chair, as you do here on this <laughs> that's, evening that's at the Hammerstein Ballroom. One of the moves and of the a, night. A child screams at Morishima, F you. Uh, <laughs> but he does not say F you. He says the word. Um, and I, I, uh, I cackled with joy uh, at that. And yeah, Morishima posts Danielson, as you said, throws him back into the ring. Uh, and Danielson is just fantastic here, looking out to the crowd, hanging over the ropes, bleeding. Thankfully, there is no Naomichi Marafuji to hit him with a drop kick while he's hanging over the ropes. Uh, that's about the only thing that didn't happen to him in this match. Stiff punches, hard kicks by Morishima. Danielson in the ring. Morishima finds a chain and brings it into the ring. Well, before that, he hits him with a short lariat, knocking him off the apron straight into the barricade. This, like, lariat, it's like a half lariat, half, like, Vader hammer (laughs) that he throws. And, yeah, Danielson goes into the barricade, but Morishima needs more violence, so he uh, he goes out and gets the chain. Yeah, he brings in the ring. He's choking Danielson with the chain. We get an awesome struggle in selling by Danielson as he's being choked out. You get the awesome visual with the blood as well. Danielson just 
top notch here. Absolutely incredible performance. Dare I say it's Justin Roberts level selling when being choked by an <laughs> object with a knee in your back. I almost wonder if, uh, if this, uh, if this led to that spot in the WWE a couple of years later, half, I say that half joking. Morishima to the top rope. He misses a drop kick. Danielson. Morishima to the top rope and he misses a drop kick. I just want to reiterate that. <laughs> Danielson into the corner. He runs up the buckles. He flips over and knocks Morishima to the floor. And Danielson then with a tope to the outside. Oh my God. He hits this, sui- this elbow suicida, this Misawa style elbow first suicide dive and just careens into the front row. Uh, this wasn't quite super Kalou somersaulting and landing third row and breaking a fan's arm, which I was there for live at the United center uh, nitro, but this wasn't far off. This, uh, this is crazy. You got the crowd chanting best in the world. Uh, rightfully so as a Brian Danielson bloody and determined face looks at the camera. Yeah. He knocks down Morishima and he hit him so hard that he just continues to yeah. sail right over the rail and into the first row of seats. Yeah. Absolutely Imagine the, the force and the acceleration <laughs> that would cause you to dive through the ropes, hit Takeshi Morishima <laughs> and his body was not able to absorb all the energy and he still, Danielson still carried his way over into the first row. Wild stuff. Back in the ring, Danielson goes to the top. He hits a drop kick to Morishima's knee. Big, hard kicks to the chest of Morishima. Gets a two count. He wipes the blood off his head and starts slapping his bloody hand across Morishima's face. This was... Not quite as disgusting as my favorite slash least favorite spot in wrestling. The blood transfusion headbutts when two bleeding men uh, headbutt each other. This was still uh, still a little icky. Morishima back on the attack. Hits the world's biggest Uranagi for a two count. My God. Yeah, what it what it lacked in Hiroshi Hase form, it more than made up for in just sheer force and violence. This was scary. Giant lariat in speaking of force and violence. Danielson flips completely around. This was brutal. This lariat from Morishima and this style. Again, I had not watched a Morishima match in a long time. His running like step lariat. It's almost like a, like a lariat version of a pump kick is the best way I can describe it. It is just, uh, this is on the Mount Rushmore of clotheslines that I've ever seen. Let's just put it that way. Small package by Danielson, which he legit used as a finisher for yes. a long time in Ring of Honor. So it gets a two count here, but a big reaction. Uh, Danielson then hits a German suplex. It was almost a delayed German suplex yes. because it, it took so much power to get Morishima up for it. But he <laughs> nails it, then quickly transitions to cattle mutilation in the center of the ring. This is where I note that, yes. My memory was correct. The cattle mutilation was a much better move than the last chance. (laughs) Morishima turns over, but Danielson starts raining down elbow strikes to Morishima. They trade forearms. Morishima doesn't move, but Danielson goes down with every forearm shot by Morishima. I love Yeah, they repeat this several times. Danielson will throw like three forearms. Morishima will throw one and knock him down. Danielson get up, do that again. Morishima knocks him down. Uh, and then we get to, we get a counter the next time. 
Yeah, and he knocked him down hard with a huge lariat again. Morishima grabs the chain again. He starts choking Danielson, gets another two count. Basically like a... uh like a cross face or an SCF style move, but with the chain uh, as the, uh, the the thing giving the force, the crowd chanting, please don't please tap. Don't tap. <laughs> as you said, Morishima lets go and goes for the pin. Only two, we get let's go dragon chance. Then Morishima picks Brian Danielson up, puts him on the top rope, ostensibly for a top rope backdrop driver. I do not want to see that happen to Brian Danielson here. And good news, you didn't, because Danielson <laughs> slips out and then gets up. So they've reversed positions now on the top rope, and Danielson hits a belly-to-back suplex off the top rope. On Takeshi Morishima. Just imagine that in your mind's eye. He's a 300-plus-pound human being here, gigantic. Yes. A good 15, 16 minutes into this absolute war. Uh, a spectacle of a spot, to be sure. Danielson is so great here looking completely spent but even more determined goes for the cover and only gets two uh and then uh brian danielson finds the uh finds the chain excuse me yeah he's choking morishima with the chain stomping him puts on a triangle choke with the chain one one upping the triangle choke based innovation from marafuji earlier on just one match prior morishima is able to power out with a power bomb Danielson off the second rope. He's caught in the air and dumped another lariat and the backdrop driver, but only a two count as Danielson gets his foot on the bottom rope at the last split second. Yes, a great spot. Like you said, that lariat and backdrop driver absolutely would have been the finish, but it happens, you know, instead of him uh, suplexing him out of the corner into the middle of the ring. He's in the middle as he hits that backdrop driver and Danison lands up against the ropes. Easy for him to get his foot on the ropes, even though it's still dramatic. Uh, at this point, Morishima goes to wrap his chain, wrap the chain around his arm. We're going to get a Morishima chain lariat. Jesus. Yeah, he goes for the lariat, but Danielson counters into an arm bar. He transitions to put the arms Behind Morishima's back, he ties his hands together with the chain. Basically so, handcuffs him with the with the chain. And right now what we're looking at is Morishima in the Mick Foley versus The Rock sort of position where his hands are behind his back defenseless uh, as Danielson is about to, uh, to rain terror down on him. Yeah, but Danielson runs in and Morishima just gets his boot up yes. and knocks Danielson down. I had uh, I had Jim Powers, yes. Mike Sharp vibes on this one here. I was gonna say this this is the uh, the best possible version of the Jim Powers, <laughs> Mike Sharp spot. Which uh, again, if that's not a tease to go back and listen to our primetime wrestling episode of season two, what is? Danielson then from the ground kicks Morishima in the balls twice. Yes, and that that second one. So the first one is just an up kick directly to the nether regions. And then the second one is a running start and a punt directly below the belt. Again, fight without honor, and Danielson is taking that very seriously. Yeah, Morishima is down, and Danielson repeatedly kicks him low while he's down. Then... It's basically a Garvin stomp, but if all six stomps were just to the groin. Then he wraps the chain around his arm, 
and Danielson hits repeated elbow strikes to the head of Morishima with the chain over and over. He transitions to cattle mutilation, and Morishima is passed out. The referee calls for the bell. Your winner is Brian Danielson. This match was brutal. It was great stuff. Oh, I, I Yeah. This hit, Everything I'm, you want out of a feud ending match. Two great wrestlers, hatred, violence. Uh, in some ways, I've talked about it, not on this podcast, but I think I talked about it with you before. I know I talked about it on the Big Audio Nightmare, that to me, the Morishima-Danielson feud and matches were the closest we ever got to the perfect uh, scary big man versus underdog babyface vibe uh, that Vader and Sting did better than anyone in wrestling history. Uh, just love the dynamic between these two guys. Yeah, what a great match. What a great way to cap off. Just an awesome show. Top to bottom. This was uh, start to finish. Just everything delivered. What a, what a night for Ring of Honor. Yeah. Uh, Final Battle 2008. Uh, absolutely on paper looked incredible. And every single match delivered. Yeah, every match delivered. Uh, it matches that for a multitude of reasons we maybe weren't looking forward to all that much. And we talked about uh, on this part two of the podcast, Aries and, uh, and Tyler black, uh, that ended up being much better than I think either of us were thinking going in just based on our, our lack of positivity towards either of those guys back then. And then even that, uh, that six man tag with Brent Albright and the boys against sweet and sour ink. That was a fun, uh, breakneck pace, crazy street fight brawl. And, and yeah, really across the board, just, uh, Really not a whole lot bad you could say about this show. Maybe too much Jimmy Jacobs. But <laughs> That's that literally be... what I have. I've listed <laughs> worst thing on this show. Too much Jimmy Jacobs is literally what I have written down. Yes. <laughs> I, I clearly would agree with that. And really, best thing, there. there's a lot. But I think it's it's clearly the main event was just off the charts great. Uh, the, the world title match with, uh, with you know seeing Marafuji at his peak and seeing Nigel really at his peak as well. Uh, that was good. Uh, very good. Uh, yeah, not a whole lot of bad things to say. I mean, going back to uh, to part one, the, the Claudio uh, and Kenny Omega match was a perfect really a, opener. It was yeah, a perfect, perfect opener. opener. And we talked about it in part one, an opener that uh, resisted a lot of the excesses that you would normally see right off the bat in Ring of Honor matches. So, yeah, uh, just a, a great show. And if it, it took the randomizer three seasons to get us a Ring of Honor show... <laughs> It at least did us a solid. It didn't pick us, you know, a, a random show from like 2014 or something. Like it gave us something right in the wheelhouse of, of top tier Ring of Honor. Yeah, no, this was great. Uh, it's everything we described is uh, streaming right now with uh, with Ring of Honor. And uh, if you haven't had Morishima in your life, if you haven't had 2008 Brian Danielson in your life, go go look this stuff up. Uh, Nigel McGinnis and Marafuji as well. Uh, it's a treat. So yes, we yeah. should mention before we close it out. If you're wondering, as we talk about how great Morishima is here in this match, you know, great run in pro wrestling Noah around this time. He got his WWE tryout. You're wondering what happened. Uh, his career really, really took a a sad turn in 2015. He had to pull out of the uh, the Pro Wrestling Noah Global Tag League tournament due to injury. A blood test uh, revealed 
days later that uh, he likely had diabetes. He, he decided to immediately retire. Um, he, uh, you know, but then later he recognized that the diabetes wasn't the reason of his retirement, vaguely said his bad physical and mental state. He was going to come back in 2018 uh, to return at a show produced by Ricky Choshu. Uh, it was canceled, though, after Morishima had uh, it was announced that he had had to have emergency surgery for arthritis in his foot. Then later that year, he was arrested late in the evening of November 4th, 2018, after assaulting a taxi driver, allegedly uh, refused to pay the uh, the fee. Was and, he was this in Buffalo with Patrick Kane? No, no, shockingly not. Although I appreciate and respect the, uh, your ability to link Patrick Kane and Takeshi Morishima. Again, you won't get that in any other podcast, but you will get it here. But no, he uh, he allegedly punched the taxi driver hard enough to break both of the man's cheekbones. Oh, good God. So, so clearly every bit as hard of a hitter in 2018 as he was in 2008. Uh, he, uh, you know, did not contest the charges and, you know, is really largely faded from public view. You know, a guy that just his whole life was professional wrestling and really, you know, didn't really develop beyond that, you know, personally, you know, by all reports and just a real, a real sad end to a career that looked like it was going to be one that would really carry pro wrestling Noah you know, beyond the years of, you know, of Kobashi and Akiyama and, and obviously Mitsuhara Masawa's tragic passing in addition to, you know, Kobashi retiring, other guys leaving. Uh, sadly, things did not work out as planned, you know, in the career and the life of Takeshi Morishima. And you see this performance by Danielson and you think, this guy's just a couple years away from being wild and young on NXT. <laughs> yes. He's, yeah, you watch this match and then you think, He's gonna be the Miz's rookie in a couple of years. What a what a world! What a, what a what a time that the professional wrestling space was in uh, at this time. Because you look at the like you watch this Ring of Honor show, and, and like it was AEW before AEW in a lot of ways. Like it's not a one to one comparison, but there's a the, the transparency overlays pretty well. It's also like it's crazy how much ring of honor really was the bridge in the wrestling world, particularly during ring of honor's high points, which it hasn't been at for a long time, but it really was the bridge between like the era of wrestling where ECW was a player to the era of wrestling that led to AEW emerging and becoming a player. It's really apparent here. Well, and it also led to uh, a great run. Yeah. And a great run of, of WWE when these guys got there. I mean, a lot of the, there's a lot of great matches that came out because a lot of the guys on this card uh, ended up going there and, yeah. and bringing that that's evolving that style to uh, to to bring WWE some some great matches in in the years to come. So it yeah. would have never happened without Ring of Honor. A hundred percent. No, that's that's a great point. Yeah, no, and a great show. Go out of your way to see it. Uh, and uh, hopefully we get some more Ring of Honor as Season 3 rolls on. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you have memories of 2008 and uh, and the final battle, the best way to interact with the show is via Twitter or Instagram, at Wrestle at Random. You can send us a message there, and we we try to respond to every single one. 
If uh, you are not on social media, that's okay as well. You can send us an email, wrestlingatrandom at gmail.com. And of course, the best way to support the show is via our Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestlingatrandom, where we have bonus content where we put out an extra show every single week. You sign up there, you get the extra shows if if you were a subscriber between seasons two and three, you didn't miss a beat. We were putting out weekly episodes there. There's hours and hours of content as a new subscriber. You pick it up today and you have a ton of content that you have not heard anywhere else waiting for you. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, During the entire, as you said, the entire season break of uh, between season two and three, we kept doing podcasts over there. Uh, new content every single week and that continues as we're into season three so if you uh if you want even more wrestling at random in your life uh support the show help us keep going as as it always does when people support it and get two shows from us each and every week and get yourself a t-shirt while you're at it at wrestling at random uh at the patreon there you can sign up for the tier where you can get yourself a t-shirt in addition to the bonus content then after you get your shirt you bump yourself down to just the bonus audio tier. You don't miss a beat. You get yourself an awesome shirt. And I will throw in a couple of early 90s WCW trading cards, some stickers uh, for wrestling at random logos as well. So go ahead and uh, support the show that way. If you can't support the show financially in these times, we understand as well. Uh, Telling your wrestling fan friends about the show is another way you can support us for free. Subscribing to the podcast following the podcast, whatever your podcatcher of choice, click that button, never miss an episode, tell your wrestling fan friends about us, and uh, and and tell your friends that used to be wrestling fans about the show, they might want to take a trip down memory lane with us as well. Yes, 100%. Uh, I would think that if you told a, a former friend uh, who you know is a wrestling fan, you know, about this show and about, Hey, like, have you ever seen a ring of honor? Like you should, you should check this out. I always say that it, it, you know, it won't bring back your friendship. This show might just do it. Uh, th- those last two matches, this entire ring of honor show and listening to this podcast, it may mend those fences. So, so hop to it. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy, as always. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you again 